Today we are talking with Richard Suskind. Richard, welcome on the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Richard. Um, Richard, it's 2011 now. Happy New Year. Yes, and to you. And uh, what I would like to ask you is the predictions you have for this year and maybe the next one when it comes to legal technology. Well, putting on my technologist hat, I see three main developments. Uh, the first is the, I think, very widespread uptake of the iPad. I've been amazed at particularly the United States, how many lawyers, particularly in-house lawyers, clients are now using the iPad. So I think once we have more convenient word processing and presentation software on the iPad, it will be the definitive machine of choice for many lawyers, particularly in-house. And if in-house lawyers are using them, then it seems to me law firms should be thinking about apps for them. The second development, I think, is in the cloud. I think you'll see gradually some major firms deciding that it makes sense for large bodies of data to be stored and processed in the cloud. There's been some hesitation over privacy and security and confidentiality, but I think many of these issues are now actually being resolved. So I think we'll see in 2011 some major players moving over to that model. A third, I think, is our business process outsourcing, where we'll see, as has already happened, we'll see some firms deciding not to run their own technology at all, but actually to transfer their systems and their technology to third-party providers who may be in India, they may be in Canada, they could be anywhere, it doesn't matter. It's just the idea that law firms might not any longer be running their their own technology. And fourthly, I think you asked for three, but I'll give you four. Uh, I think we'll see uh, more of an uptake of social media. We'll see lawyers using LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter for business purposes and not just social purposes. So that's, I think we're interesting year ahead of us. Okay, that's great. I um, did a survey a couple of weeks ago, and what you what you see we got into social media is that many law firms don't even have a social media policy yet. With some law firms, you, you see that the IT department is responsible, in other firms it's the, it's the marketing department. What would you think is the best strategy? Uh, well, it amazes me. It's very like uh, email in the mid-90s, where it was being used internally, and then some people suggested, well, perhaps we could use email for external purposes. A few started using it, a few lawyers within firms started using it. No one had thought through the policy implications, no one had thought through the policy, the procedures. Everyone was playing catch-up for many years. Mm-hmm. Here it seems to me there's an obvious opportunity to take a step back and say, this is coming our way, let's think systematically about it, let's think sensibly about it. And before we let our firm and our people loose on this software, why don't we just think through what we want from it and how we want to control it. And eventually, I think uh, sensible practice will prevail. But what will likely happen, as happened with email, is that you'll have a few mavericks, a few um, more technical lawyers who will be doing their own thing, and law firms will have to catch up with them. So here's the chance, really, to think systematically in advance. And are there any good examples of, of, of law firms you can mention who, according to you, are doing a good job at social media so far? I think law firms is the wrong question. I think we should be looking at clients. And what I am seeing is quite a lot of clients, for example, now using Twitter. Yeah. They're tweeting, they're sending out messages about where they are, what they're doing, what they're thinking. And it seems to me that if I was a law firm and my clients were sending out messages about what they're doing, where they're thinking, where they're going, I'd want to be in the receiving end. So many of these technologies, I believe, are going to be client-driven. Left to their own devices, most law firms would prefer not to use LinkedIn, prefer not to use Facebook, they prefer to go back to the old ways of working. But as clients start embracing these technologies, I think we're going to see a difference. I think we'll also see clients coming together 
in closed communities where they will actually set up their own online share spaces, uh, a facility that allows them to pass information, insight, ideas amongst themselves, often potentially even excluding law firms. So it's, you've got to watch the clients. It's the clients who are going to drive the market. That's interesting. You were talking about the iPads. Do you think it's it's really only the iPad or are you, were you referring more to um, tablet computers in general? I think, yeah, I, I think actually we're going the truth, the truth is that um, it, it was Bill Gates many years ago who said the, the tablet PC was going to take off and uh, he was an early advocate and, and showed the way in at that stage it was premised on handwriting recognition but for one reason or another it was an idea before its time and actually even if you look at the, the Apple Newton many years ago gosh 20 years ago perhaps uh, the technology the idea of the technology has been around for some time what Apple have done as they so often manage to do is introduce a product to the market just just at the crest of the wave, just as it's breaking. Um, and as ever, with their kit, and I'm an enthusiast, it's wonderfully engineered, it handles beautifully, and it's a prestige piece of equipment. There's no doubt that others already, Samsung, Dell, and we hear BlackBerry or RM are going to be bringing out their equivalents. They've got a hard battle on. Yeah. Uh, where they might be able to have the edge, as I say, is if they introduce Microsoft Word, and Microsoft PowerPoint on the tablet, uh, which, as I understand it, the iPad has not yet. I've got my iPad. And, I, and my original review, I reviewed it the day I bought it for the, for the Times in London, and I said it wouldn't be a laptop killer for lawyers until we have these basic pieces of software. What's been interesting, you know, though, is that many lawyers are using them not really so much for business purposes, but they're actually for reading, for games, for films and so forth. Yeah. It's become a, 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 an information appliance of choice. Yeah, definitely. Um, you also mentioned cloud computing. Yes. And um, also the fact that law firms will outsource their IT, which is, I think, a bit related. Mm. Yes, they are. Well, yes, that's right. Yes, they are. So this is bad news for uh, law firm IT staff. Well, it depends on the deal. Um, some of the legal, the business process outsourcers, um, consistent with the way the technology was outsourced and began in the 90s, what actually happens is the staff transfer from the law firm to the service provider. Sometimes there's job losses, very often there isn't. They still need the people to run the systems. For, for many technologists, actually, it means they'll be working potentially in a better environment. If I was a technologist, I'm not sure a law firm is the best place to work. Lawyers are, to be blunt, quite difficult customers. They're quite demanding users. They're, uh, they're not the easiest of um, people to make happy when it comes to technology. And it's honestly my experience that with many technology working law firms are not that interested in legal service. They're interested in technological challenges. And so if they can transfer into an organization that is larger, that's got better facilities, larger budgets, more exciting and ambitious strategies, that actually might work quite well for them. So I'm not too pessimistic. I, I think it could be, for good technologists, I think you'll see the emergence of a, a whole set of new career opportunities. Right. Another subject. Um, e-discovery is still a, a very hot topic in the United States. Huge in the United States, just beyond measure is just it's the dominant discussion in legal technology. And we are running behind in Europe. Uh, well, I think it's, it's not bad to be running behind that one. <laughs> the big question that we always ask in England, uh, further to reforms we had about 15 years ago, is whether or not the cost of undertaking a piece of litigation was proportionate to the amount of the claim. And the trouble with e-discovery is that so often 
the search for electronic materials, the sorting, the sifting, the managing, is becoming a massive and hugely costly undertaking in its own right, and it's a front-loaded cost as well as at the outset. And we do worry in England that if this comes in a big way, that actually the cost will be disproportionate. Um, not all countries, of course, have discovery at all. Many civil jurisdictions don't have discovery, so it's not really an issue for them. But it's certainly the dominant uh, technology that's discussed in the United States. And again, what's happened there is that rather than a lot of it being done by law firms, it's been done by third parties, sometimes in the United States, sometimes in, in lower-cost jurisdictions. And there's quite exciting software as well coming out, deduplication software that's yeah. actually pretty advanced now. Yeah. Um, so it's a field that very much watched in, in, in the United States. I don't think electronic discovery will be... Sorry, you were saying? I was, uh, we had a little interruption there, but it's fine. Uh, I was saying I don't, I don't think it's going to be the same scale of challenge in England as it was in the United States for a whole bundle of reasons. It's mainly to do with the, the, the nature of the legal systems and different approaches to litigation. And I think also, judge, there's a stronger emphasis emerging, I think, in, in England in active judicial case management. And good case management by judges will keep the search for electronic materials proportionate. And if you take that um, the data explosion and the fact that, well, almost all law firm information is confidential, mm. put that together with WikiLeaks. Yes, there are huge issues, aren't there? Um, confidentiality and security of information is always going to be a challenge for us. And although we might think that our own systems internally are secure than holding our data and programs in the cloud or having them managed by third parties. That's not obviously always the case. And it seems to me that we need to think very hard about security and confidentiality and be alive to the fact that out there there are numbers of people who are interested in exposing information. And a lot of litigation information, for example, is price sensitive. A lot of it actually deals with the very personal details of of live human beings and so lawyers have to be tremendously cautious and careful that uh, they're managing their data effectively but as I say it's not absolutely clear to me that the securest way of managing your data is by keeping it in house you know, a highly reputable independent secure third party is probably going to be having more secure systems yeah. than say a two or three partner firm who are doing their best on a limited budget to manage their information but WikiLeaks is fascinating because there's a whole new generation um, of challenges being thrown up about access to information about what is and what should be in the public domain and in many ways a lot of the challenges we're seeing from it they, they uh, overlap with the freedom of information challenges we've seen in the United Kingdom. In the United Kingdom, we've got freedom of information legislation, which basically means a huge amounts of public sector information that used to be essentially held in filing cabinets or inaccessible to the public can now be accessed to that information, can now be made available. And some extent, I think it's pretty clear that that actually affects the way that public officials record meetings, it affects the way they write memos, they uh, send emails and documents and so forth. Um, so what actually happens very often is that important material that may historically have been committed to writing, uh, electronic 
on a clear paper is no longer actually committed to writing. So it has fascinating knock-on effects. We're at the very early stages of seeing what the specific implications of WikiLeaks are, but as I say, this goes to the heart of some crucial issues about what information should be in the public domain um, and what shouldn't. And I think there is a lar- there's still a large number of documents and materials, for, at least for national security issues, which seems to me it makes sense not to be made widely available. But that, that debate is running. Okay, Richard, thank you very much for your time. It's a great pleasure.